Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Hada! Your Grace! I know that you want to listen to Binge Mode, but Binge Mode has adult content and... Good. You should head to bed. I'm not tired! And now, Binge Mode. If you refuse, our alliance with the phrase is dead. He's wanted me for one of his daughters since I was 12. He's not going to stop wanting it now. When I say no, you will come back and offer me a daughter of my choosing. You're willing to risk our freedom and our lives for a chance at a prettier wife. I have a war to fight. We can't win it without them. I have no time to haggle. You said you wanted to make amends for the stone mill. I had something less permanent in mind. I've won every battle, but I'm losing this war. If we don't do this and do it now, we're lost. Hello, and welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished helping out Joffrey with some crossbow target practice and cleanup, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Hello. Jason, some say the climb is all there is, but we know. We know that that's horseshit because there is also the binge. (laughs) We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. We're deep diving one episode at a time. Spoiler warning for all of you. We will be going deep on details from the show and the books this season and beyond, particularly in this episode, which we'll, we'll get to a little bit more later with a more pointed spoiler warning. But let's dig in. Get those ice picks out. Yeah. Slap them into the wall. It's time to break down season three, episode six, The Climb. Jason, if you think this has a happy ending, buddy, you haven't been paying attention. (laughs) No, I haven't. And just in case anyone listening has not been paying attention, let's offer a brief refresher on what actually happened in this sixth installment. Let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road. Up at the wall, Tormund's party prepares to climb. He's an experienced raider, and Ygritte says Tormund has gone over the wall 50 times. John is fairly apprehensive. It's a gigantic fucking wall, after all. Ygritte teases John about his abilities uh, to kiss as the lords do in the south. She knows he's not loyal to Mance, but she wants him to be loyal to her. He promises to never betray her. The climb begins. Wildlings using axes, spiked boots, and ropes scale the vast, icy surface of the wall. Several die in the attempt. John saves Ygritte from falling. They make it over and share a wonderful moment up top. So romantic. It's very romantic. What of you? What of you? Get those pants off right now. South of the wall, but in the north of Westeros, a lot of bickering. Yeah. In Bran's camp, Mira and Osha. How to best skin a rabbit? Well, you decide. Jojen, meanwhile, he has a seizure during one of his green dreams. What's this dream? Well, it's a vision of Jon Snow and the wildlings. In the Riverlands, Melisandre arrives at the Brothers Without Banners cave, and we find out that Mel and Thoros of Mir had a plot to convert Robert Baratheon. Obviously, it did not work. Melisandre discovers that Thoros has been bringing Beric back from the dead. She is amazed. How are you doing this? Ah, it's the Lord that does it, he tells her. Melisandre isn't in the Riverlands just to take the air, of course. She's there for royal fluids, which means Gendry. Arya, 
is enraged. Mel looks into her eyes and sees many eyes staring back, the eyes of the men she will kill. Ooh. Haunting, a haunting, haunting moment. Speaking of haunting, in the Dreadfort, Theon's torture continues apace. On today's menu, flaying. Traditional recipe, the Dreadfort, at Riverrun. Rob meets with the phrase, you know, and just to smooth things over, that thing with the wedding. Hey, guys, what's up? Remember how I spurned your bride? The phrase deliver Walder's terms for resumption of their alliance. Edmure, Tully, is pissed about the part he's going to have to play. He's going to have to get married, and he doesn't want to, but not much he can do about it. In Hall, Bolton dines with Brienne and Jamie. What a dinner party. Jamie struggling to cut his meat. That so, meat is bloody tough. Bloody tough. <laughs> Bolton wonders aloud, what should I do? With the Kingslayer, he decides ultimately to send Jamie on to King's Landing. Brienne, though, is going to have to stay and pay the price for treason. Down in King's Landing, Tywin springs his marriage traps on Lady Olena. Cersei is going to marry Loras. Olena objects because she feels like, you know what, Cersei's maybe a little too old for Loras? I don't know. Tywin pulls out his trump card. Agree to this or I will name Loras to the King's Guard, thus depriving you of an heir. Later... Tyrion accuses Cersei of ordering Sir Mandon to kill him during the Battle of the Blackwater. She says nothing, and Tyrion realizes, actually, it must have been Joffrey. Tyrion breaks the news to Sansa as Shay looks on. Hey, girl, we getting married. Varys and Baelish spar in the throne room again. Littlefinger, what a scene. Great scene. Littlefinger reveals that he knows that Roz has been working for the Master of Whispers. Mm. And we discover that Littlefinger gave her to Joffrey, who filled her with arrows. R.I.P. Roz. You were a show invention, yes, but a good one, and we will miss you, and we will miss your turnips. Gigantic turnips. Jason, Lord Frey's recent yes. experience has made him wary of long engagements. Yes, let's speed this up, guys. <laughs> let's get it going. And our recent experience watching this show has made us wary of basically anything that these characters say or do. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is... Making deals and setting traps. Set them. Sometimes, rarely, but sometimes, alliances can be true. They can be pure. (laughs) On Game of Thrones and in Survivor, sometimes they are essential, but sometimes, dare we say often, they are tools. They are deceptions. They are a means to an end, a pathway to a betrayal. The tricks and the illusions that we keep hearing so much about, right? And this episode, The Climb, really stands out in the Game of Thrones pantheon as an episode full of these pivot points, of these moments where characters set traps for their their nominal allies, their actual foes, under the guise of friendship, of allegiance, of a common cause. So... To properly appreciate all of these maneuvers, we have to look forward a little more than we like to do on these episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, we always want to be able to say, here's what stands out to us right. in hindsight. But to really break down these traps, these deals, we have to consider how they pay off yep. in the end. So one more spoiler warning for you guys. We are going to talk about future occurrences a little bit more than we usually do. If that is not interesting to you or scary to you, if you are not caught up, we'll see you next episode. But if you've seen six seasons of Game of Thrones, hopefully you'll enjoy this. Um, Let's start with the most crucial trap of all, 
Rob and the phrase. Take us through this dinner. Oh, wonderful. Look read, read this menu to us. Look who's coming to dinner. It's the phrase. Black Walder, Lothar. Take your head covering off at the dinner table. That's you right. know, well, guys? That's a sure sign of disrespect, then why not? You know, Rob turned his back on the phrase. Why shouldn't they show a little disrespect to him? Black Walder and Lothar come to deliver Walder's terms. Uh, they are, of course, a trap. Bait to lure Rob to the twins, which he has no idea about. Our father has instructed us to tell you that this alliance with the North can continue if his terms are met. No, <laughs> Rob, don't body, do this. But, and the terms are are the terms are instructive. Number one, a formal apology from Rob for violating his oath. The easiest one, sure. Mm-hmm. Rob, as a king, has to do this. He has to acknowledge that his word has been broken by him, and he's got to repair that. Heron Hall and all its attendant lands and titles. This is a good one because, uh, of course, if you want to lure Rob in, you've got to make it look good. And if you're going to make it look good, you got to really ask for something big. This is a big ask. Heron Hall and all its attendant lands and titles. Not really Rob's to give. Right. Uh, but Rob uh, observes, hey, this isn't in the north. Okay. Uh, sure, I'll do it. And now the hammer. Lord Edmure. Got to marry Rosamond Frey, 19 years old, sight unseen. Yep. Can I see her? You want to count her teeth. <laughs> and, and her boils, probably. Crucially, and it's got to be done now. Yes. Quickly. Gotta this get is the thing. This, done. this is where Rob's uh, spidey sense should have perked up. Why? Why so fast? Why uh-huh. now? Why right now? We depart for the twins in the morning, the phrase said. We need an answer before we leave. A wedding not more than a fortnight after, two weeks, or this alliance is at an end, the Blackfish says. Your father does realize we're in the middle of a war. Father is old, he says. It would put his heart at peace (laughs) if he could see her wed to a good husband. And his recent experience has made him wary of long engagement, Rob says. He has every right to be Rob. Rob, Come on, bro. dude. Listen, Walder has been uh, saying... Uh. That he's old. Oh, I'm old. I'm old for a long time. The guy is old and he's been saying he's old and yet he never seems to die. He's constantly taking wives. Uh, Beware of the phrase. Edmure, of course, isn't really focused on what matters here. He wants to know, like, you know, how old is she? What she look like? Blah, blah, blah. And and Edmure is is the punchline now. But the interesting thing is if they listen to him, everything might have been different. The laws. He's basically saying, can we pause for just a second? Can we just talk about the specifics here? For just a second. Yes. And what if they had done that? What if they had done that? What if Rob had just said, you know what? Long war. Yeah. Hey, guys. Let's uh, take a beat. My men are fighting in the field. Let's take a beat. Uh, two weeks seems kind of short. I agree to do it, but can we make it, you know, uh, a month? Can we right. make it a month and a half? Part of the reason that Rob is not actually thrown off by the timing demands is because he's in a hurry too. He is pressing. Casterly rock. I gotta take it. Gotta get it. Gotta get it. Gotta seize my moment. And this is is really one of Rob's tragic flaws is that he's an easy mark. Right? His enemies know what weaknesses to target. They They, see the hole in the armor. He's lost his troops. He's lost his men. He can feel it slipping away. He's going to have to act. He's going to have to correct this. He says this, right? After they're deliberating later, I have a war to fight. We can't win it without them. I have no time to haggle. And then he goes on to say, I've won every battle, but I'm losing this war. If we don't do this and do it now, we've lost. Well, no, you're going to lose 
again, spoiler warning, guys, he's they're marching him right to the Red Wedding. That's what this is. This is the final. It's being fattened and taken to the slaughter. We always talk about Rob, but what about all these other people? These people are all in prison or dead. This is this is it. And certainly the Blackfish, who is a very experienced field commander, is Rob's most valuable scout. It knows the Riverlands in and out. Should have seen this coming. Right. Someone should have seen this coming, if not Rob. Let's talk about one of the other characters who's eventually a part of this whole Red Wedding mm-hmm. fiasco, and that's Roos Bolton. Roos is doing his part as well from afar. It is, even, even upon a rewatch, not crystal, crystal clear, as we've talked right. about before, how deep, he, how deep in he is at what point. Right. But... The choices that he makes in this episode ultimately solidify that his allegiance has shifted, right? right. His his cloak has turned. So right. when he says that he should send Jamie back to Rob, he's referring to Rob throughout this entire episode as King Rob. Right. A sign of respect in theory, right? right. Is it is it is it a last little shred of loyalty that's still there? Is it totally a ruse? It's hard to say. But what does Jamie say to this? You should. And yet you're here watching me fail at dinner. (laughs) Why might that be? Bolton says, wars cost money. Many people would pay a great deal for you. And Jamie says, we both know who would pay the most or make you pay the most if he'd found out you captured me. Bolton issues his terms, right? He will send Jamie back to King's Landing. And as soon as you're well enough to travel, I will allow you to go to King's Landing as restitution for the mistakes my soldiers made. For whatever reason, He's not comfortable revealing right. to Jamie what his true motivations are. Well, what's really it's at not play a done, here. It's not a done deal yet. Right. It it's, could go either way still at this point. He's hedging his bets. Right. He's hedging his bets. And he needs to protect himself in various right. ways and on various sides. So he says to Jamie, you will swear to tell your father the truth that I had nothing to do with your maiming. Right. He wants to make sure that if he moves fully forward with the Tywin plan and sides that way, Tywin's not going to then turn around and say, wait a minute. Yeah. You're supposed to be on my side. Right. You let my son, my heir, one of the most gifted swordsmen in the realm, lose his sword hand. Right. What the fuck, dude? Right. So and then Jamie wants to seal this. He wants to, to, to lock in this pact. He says, we should have a drink on it. Bolton says, I don't partake. I love this reply from yeah. Jamie. You do understand how suspicious that is to ordinary people. Like it's again. Another moment in this episode that is simultaneously operating as humor and a punchline, but also like very genuine insight into what people should be seeing, but maybe aren't, should be considering, but maybe aren't, right? And so again, like where is Bolton in this alliance with Tywin? He's protecting it. Is it it fully forged? Is it in the process of being forged? Does he just know that it's about to be forged? You know, we got – we got these letters. We're trying to piece the full time frame together. The fact that he – is kind of a dick to Jamie yeah. and also refuses to give in to Jamie's Brienne-centric demands, certainly supports your point that either this isn't a done deal right. or if it is in the sense of like letters are sealed and sent, he still, Bolton is savvy enough to know that things can change right. and that he's got to still be able to get back in on the other side. Yeah, so, Rob, Rob could get wind of this and then next thing you know, it's Bolton's head on a spike. And- exactly. So he says, right, He he says, oh, she, she being Brienne, right. won't be going with you. Right. You, Brienne, are charged with abetting treason. Jamie says, I'm afraid I must insist. And Bolton turns around to him, this guy that he's in theory just agreed to a pact right. with. You're in no position to insist on anything. I would have thought you'd learned your 
lesson about overplaying your dramatic pause where he doesn't say yeah. hand, but clearly wants Jamie to think he's <laughs> going to say hand position. It's a weird but indelicate but kind of fascinating line that Bolton is trying to walk. And it illustrates that when these traps are being set, when these deals are being made, there are still, yeah. no matter how deep in you are, still 20 other considerations an at enormous, all times. Enormous, enormous gamble. Tywin and Olena. The guy on the other side of those letters, you know? The guy on the other side. The guy pulling all those strings. You know, we're used to, at this point in our short time with Olena, seeing her just own people. Uh, Not in this case. If you're going to set up, try to set up a marriage pact under the nose of Tywin Lannister in King's Landing, she had, she had, she should have done it quickly as, as Walder, you know, did. Uh, But she didn't. And Tywin sussed it out. She doesn't want Cersei to marry Loras because she's weird. You know, Cersei's too old to bear children and continue to tie her a line. Tywin says that if she refuses the match, he'll remove that possibility from Loras regardless by naming to the Kingsguard. If the rumors about my children are true, he says, then Joffrey is no king and House Tyrell is throwing a prized flower in the dirt. And if Cersei is too old to bear children, she says we'd be throwing another prized flower into the dirt. Mm -hmm. It's a chance we simply cannot Take. She's so firm in that yeah. moment, such conviction, and then he and, just rips it yeah. away from and, her. And if you refuse, I'll marry Loras to Cersei. To marry Loras to Cersei, I'll name him Kingsguard. Uh, Book readers, guys, this bugs. <laughs> this actually bugs me. Yeah, why? This is one of the few. I'm. I'm. At least now, after rewatching the show so many times, I'm like pretty much at peace with right. most of the changes. I think one like this where the change becomes a central plot device, yeah. it's like, but like he is in the King's Guard, right. right? Like he just couldn't be used this way. And so for like a core plot involving so many key characters to hinge on the threat of Loras being moved to the position that he's actually in in the books yeah. is like a little disorienting and annoying to me. I don't know. Talk me out of it. Tell me I mean, why it works. I agree. I agree with you that it's less, it certainly takes a lot of the detail out. I think from a purely utilitarian sense, it like you, you're avoiding having to do battle scenes. You know, Loris's maiming in battle is kind of like a core uh, plot point. Right. So I guess, you know, that's what you do. I agree with you, though. So anyway, if, if by naming Loris to the Kingsguard, what happens? You take him off the board in terms of inheritance, just as the same thing that happened to Jamie with with. Um, Castor Lee Rock, mm-hmm. and this threatens the Tyrell line. Tywin is always thinking in these terms: like, how can I leverage? Right. How can I? How can I leverage the things I have? The, the, you know, what I have at my disposal uh, to entrap people. Theoretically, Olena has leverage. She could have. She could have said, "Hey, you know, we're supplying King's Landing with men, with food, with et cetera, et cetera, et cetera." But because Tywin is hand. He can do this. Tywin's children, uh, for Tyrion says, you know, it's hard to decide which of the four of us is getting the worst of it when he's talking to Love talking about uh, Sansa and Loras. Probably Sansa, though Loras will probably come to know a deep and singular misery. His line reading yeah. there is so good. Cersei says, father doesn't discriminate. discriminate. We're all sh- being shipped off to hell together on a boat, if you will. Short-sighted plans. Yeah. I like that Tyrion calls repeatedly calls Cersei out on this because it is one of her true shortcomings as a real threat and a yeah. truly dominant villain in this world. Her, her, her plans are formed 
hastily. Yes. She acts rashly and based on emotion, not logic. And usually she or people she cares about end up in a fucked up situation because of it. And Tyrion's saying to her, on a boat you built, aka, this is your fault, right. dumbass, is she, refreshing to hear. And yet she's successful just because of the ruthlessness and right. speed with which she acts. She doesn't wait too long when she decides to do something. She's not like Rob yes. in the sense that she makes a mistake once and refuses to make it again. Right. Weirdly, the fact that she's willing to continue yeah, she'll repeat just keep her errors right. works in her favor, whereas Rob over, overcorrects yeah. to his own detriment. Tyrion also observes that uh, Joffrey is uh, quite a plotter himself, though the most incompetent. A very bad one. <laughs> the most incompetent of all the Lannister plotters. Uh, you know, he didn't get that kind of patient gene that Tywin has. Uh, he says, he hates me because I'm the only one who tells him what he really is. Fair enough, if he wants me dead, but his stupidity, he could have had me poisoned and no one would have known. Right. Very true. Also foreshadowing. But the king orders a king's guard to have the hand of the king murdered in full view of his army. The boy is an idiot. Very, very true. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Littlefinger. Ooh. And Varys. Making moves. Successful moves. One of the most memorable closing scenes, really scenes, period, in the show's run. Uh, an iconic speech that I don't know that we can just pull bits and pieces from right. this. We, we probably just have to quickly run through this. Give us some of your trademark voice work here. It's, it's flattering. You feeling such dread at the thought of me getting what I want. I did what I did for the good of the realm. The realm. Do you know what the realm is? It's a thousand blades of Aegon's enemies. A story we agree to tell each other over and over until we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left once we abandon the lie? Chaos. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Many who try to climb it fail, and never get to try again. The fall breaks them. And some are given a chance to climb, but they refuse. They cling to the realm, or the gods, or love. Illusions. Only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. This is phenomenal. It really is great. It is an incredible speech. It's an incredible insight into how Littlefinger thinks, not only about just the nature of existence and of operating in this political power structure, but of how to manipulate and best your enemies. That's all he's ever thinking about. He thinks in terms of goals and objectives. People are pawns to him, right? They are yeah. either they are either there to be used or to be taken off the board. And he really thinks like a chess player in the sense that when he makes a move he wants to win, he he doesn't care how big the win is as long as it's a win. Right. If I can if I can wreck something here, destroy something here and move up one space, right? Because that's it's, it's one rung. That's one rung. One rung. And you're I'll higher than you were before. Yeah. One of the things I love about this too is that there's the great little moment in season two when Littlefinger visits Tywin at Harrenhal, and he's basically like, "Yo, boss. Yeah, there's some chaos here. Seems like an opportunity." And Tywin totally dismisses him and like, hand waves him and shits oh, on him. Oh wow! Right, you're the first man <laughs> yeah. to ever think that chaos <laughs> is an opportunity, and. Yeah. 
I like the fact, I admire the fact that Littlefinger isn't shaken by that, right? He still has the strengths of his incredibly warped and corrupt, but very present right. conviction. Yeah, they don't realize how re- truly relentless he is. King of the Ashes, right? Yeah. King of the Ashes. All right. Speaking of ashes, we got a fire priestess here, Melisandre. She's making her move. She's visiting the Brotherhood. Interesting She's conversation here. Very. Trying to get Gendry. And here they are, right? They're all together. And they are laying a shared trap yeah. for what they think the Lord of Light wants them to be setting, right? Barak says to Melisandre, he sent you to us for a reason. Melisandre, you have someone he needs. In their minds, they're all whether they're directly aligned or not, kind of operating toward a common goal in the name of R'hllor. Who does she need? That someone is Gendry, right? We serve the Lord of Light, and the Lord of Light needs this boy. There is also the more practical trap right. of their reality, right? Arya says, she notes, she's not. She's calling them out on their bullshit, right? Okay. She says, you're not doing this for your God. You're doing this for gold. And Thoros, to his credit, does not shy right. away from this charge. He says, basically, they can't, they're trying to defend the people. They can't do that without, without weapons and horses, and they can't get those things without gold. And then it's just fascinating to watch Melisandre try to lure Gendry in. You know, she says, in earshot of basically everyone she was just palling around with, which is kind of weird, you're more than they could ever be. They are just foot soldiers in the war. You will make kings rise and fall. Basically saying to him, you're a part of this plan. Let's make a deal. I need you. You're important. What does a person like Gendry want? We talked about this last episode. To feel wanted. Right. To feel important. To feel like he belongs. She's selling him yeah. belief purpose. Those are very, very powerful tonics. That's what he wants. But what do we know, again, with the benefit of hindsight and how she's going to use him, we know that he's just a blood bag to That's her. It. That's all it is. And it's pretty devastating to watch. He's obviously, he's not happy about being taken prisoner. He thought he had a uh, found a family with the Brotherhood and he's devastated that they're letting him be claimed in this way. But there is this moment when he when she says this to him where you you can see the wheels turning in his yep. head. Oh, is there something greater right. waiting for me? And it's like, well, not in not if Melisandre has anything to say about it. And that's that's painful to watch. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by Direct TV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. At the foot of the wall, you greet basically blows up John's spot. She basically tells him, hey, I know that you're not really loyal to Mance. You're not doing this for uh, for freedom, for right. like anything else. You're, you're still working with the, with the Night's Watch, I suspect, but I want you to be loyal to me. Mm-hmm. She ultimately is a woman of her word, and when he's lying to her face here... He knows what he's setting himself up for and her. And it's a, it's a tragic moment. It really is. Devastating. Wish these two had been able to be happy together. Uh, two people who are never going to be happy together. Our final trap setter of this episode, Ramsey and Theon. Tough moment here when uh, Ramsey is gloating openly Ugh. about Theon falling so cleanly into his trap. Theon, in, in an effort to get off, get out of this torture chamber, he says, I'll tell you everything, please. And Ramsey says, but you already told me everything. Yeah. Remember, dumbass? Your daddy was mean to you. The stocks didn't appreciate you. Good reminder that sometimes these traps and plots don't really have an end game right. other than carnal satisfaction. Right. 
All right, Jason, not everybody is having as much fun as Ramsey, certainly, but Edmure, for one, seems positively forlorn. He's in a tough spot, right? He doesn't want to marry an ugly woman, and who can blame him? Don't worry about that, Edmure. Yeah, she looks good, dude. Least of your problems, She looks good. Lord Frey has wanted Edmure for one of his daughters since he was 12, Edmure says. You know, Frey, Edmure is Frey's liege lord. Edmure should be offered the same choice of bride as Rob was. Why is he disrespecting me, right? right. Lord Frey is, is an old ferret. He's really just throwing out all of his complaints here. There is a lot to unpack, a lot of history. We got a little bit of it between Frey and Kat in earlier episodes. Let's assemble the conclave, head to the Citadel, and as these relationships are really coming to the fore, let's learn everything we need to know about the Tullys, the Freys, and the dynamics in the Riverlands. The Riverlands, centrally located and crisscrossed by streams in the three branches of the mighty Trident River, the Riverlands are the transit hub of Westeros. In times of peace, trade and travelers flow up and down the waterways that link the Neck in the North to the Westerlands, Crownlands, Blackwater Bay, the Vale, the Reach. Times of war, boats laden with goods and trade caravans are replaced by armies seeking to control what is essentially the center of the chessboard. Uh, the lords of the Riverlands style themselves as riverlords and are notorious for being fractious and quarrelsome. They hate each other. There are feuds in the Riverlands, for instance, the infamous Brack and Blackwood feud, which have lasted thousands of years. Um, and this is no surprise. If you look at the region's bloody history, one could argue that the Riverlands' natural state is a chaotic cycle of invasion, defeat, and rebellion against the invader against the invader. Every invader utilizes the area's natural divisiveness, playing one river lord against another, then bringing in a third when the first one gets too strong. Uh, first it was the Andals, swallowing up the kingdoms of the first men. Then came the Storm Kings. Uh, they slew the last of the river kings and held the riverlands in an iron grip of despotism for centuries, despite rebellions instigated by numerous riverland houses. Uh, then came the Ironborn, When they pushed in from the coast, threatening the Storm King's hegemony, uh, the Riverlands rose in rebellion. Happily, hey, here's a chance to throw off the yoke. Uh, But what happened? They traded one dictator for an even bloodier one. The Black Whore Kings of the Iron Islands ruled the Riverlands by fear and blood. Uh, Rebellions bubbled up regularly and were put down again and again over the intervening centuries. Until Aegon the Conqueror arrived on the scene, ending the line of King Heron Whore the Black at the Roast of Harrenhal. As with the invasion of the Ironborn centuries earlier, a band of unhappy riverlords, eager for freedom, flocked to the invaders' banners. Their leader was Edmund of House Tully, an old and respected family of the Riverlands. As a reward for their support, Aegon raised the Tullys to overlordship of the Riverlands. So their, their, their rulership over the Riverlands is not that old. Talking about 300 years or so. That formula allying with a strong outside force in return for control of the region is one that Walder Frey could not help but notice. House Frey is among the youngest noble families in Westeros. They can trace their line back only 600 years or so. Like much, uh, the Bracken-Blackwood feud is much older than House Frey. Uh, When a Frey ancestor back then was granted lands on the banks of the Green Fork, he built a wooden bridge across the river and charged fees for travelers who wanted to cross over the years, their wealth grew, much to the annoyance, surely, of the more established houses in the realm. The wooden span was replaced by stone, the towers of, of the twin towers of Frey. Uh, they've come a long way in a relatively short time, but the Freys are hungry for more. They want more. And they're looking at, the, at history, the way things have played out in the past, and they're thinking, hmm, 
perhaps an alliance with someone who, I don't know, someone strong, uh, help overthrow my overlord. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. Who knows? Walder has shown himself as just the sort of hungry river lord that an overlord or a king should keep their eye on. Mm-hmm. And no one is doing it. Jason, it is a natural thing. Yes. Two boys having a go at each other between yeah. the sheets. Never? <laughs> <laughs> Never. No. No. Not once. No. Tywin is, I don't know. He's he's got some secrets. Yeah, he's he got does. Some secrets. He says he hates whores and yeah. yet <laughs> Shay can tell us something right. here, I think. Yeah. But uh it's also a natural thing for us to head to the sept. Sure. To bathe in the light of the seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, lightning round style. You go first. Osha, yeah. Tamira, a literal savage. <laughs> You've got a big mouth, girl, and two-minute teeth. Love I, it. I'm going to use that. All right, number two. When Sam is showing Gilly the, uh, the, quote, buried treasure, thousands of years old, I think, that he found beyond the wall, the obsidian, right? She says, what does it do? And Sam says, well, I'm not sure that it does anything. Now, Obviously, he will quickly discover that this is not the case. But I love this moment because it's cool to me that someone who is already to this point as well read and informed as Sam, right? He knew about the three blasts and what it meant. He was able to identify, hey, maybe you should burn that body. There's no smell here. Hey, blue eyes, right? No one else was thinking these things. He doesn't he doesn't know this. And so. It shows that. The intel that these people need to take down the White Walkers, there is still a lot to discover here. And it's really, it's thrilling to think of what Sam, now that he is in the House of Knowledge, in the actual Citadel, what he will be able to learn there. Love it. Number three. Attention HBO, new idea for a spinoff, Thoros Tales. I like hearing the, the tales of the debauched red priest of Mir. Thoros says, I've always been a terrible priest. Drank too much rum, fucked all the whores in King's Landing. I want to hear about this. I want all, to hear a little more about this. All of them? I mean, that's there a lot. There are a lot. I think that's there an exaggeration, but, you know, this guy can bring people back from the dead. Who knows? I admire his stamina. All right, number four, speaking of Thoros, we got a lot more resurrection yeah. insight in this episode here. We're learning about this piece by piece, episode by episode. Thoros to Melisandre, he says, I knelt beside his cold body and said the old words, not because I believed in them. Yep. But because he was my friend, this is actually very touching. Yeah. And he was dead. And they were the only words I knew. And for the first time in my life, the Lord replied. Barak's eyes opened. And I knew the truth. Our God is the one true God and all men must serve him. And then, yeah. then Melisandre says to Barak, you've been to the other side. And he says, the other side? Right. There is no other side. I've been to the darkness, my lady. So two things here. Number one, that is haunting. Two. This is crucial. This is Melisandre's show tutorial ahead of season six. Again, guys, spoiler alert. Right. She's going to bring John back <laughs> from the dead. So everything that she's hearing here, this is what she's going to call upon. Love the moment with Melisandre and Arya when Arya curses her as a witch. Melisandre doesn't even react to that. She sees something else in Arya's face. She, she looks into her eyes and says, I see darkness in you. And in that darkness, eyes staring back at me. Brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes, eyes you'll shut forever. We will meet again. Is this a preview of Arya's Faceless Men days or just uh, her future as a murderer, an assassin? 
And will they meet again? When? What will that look like? Melisandre, crucially, heading south at the end of I can't uh, wait for this. Yeah. I, I, they would not have had this line in the show if, right. it, if, it, if it isn't going to pan yep. out, right? This is, this is Chekhov's We Will Meet Again. Yep. They are going to get together in some way, probably as foes. Yep. I cannot wait. Number six, we hinted at this earlier. When Jojen is having his seizure and Mira says the visions take their toll, it is, it is impossible to watch this after seeing all six seasons, after watching season six, and not spend the entire moment thinking about Bran. It's like, sorry, Jojen, like, we hope you're okay, but what does this mean for Bran? Uh, Varys and Littlefinger hit sparring in the throne room, talking about the, uh, the throne itself. Ugly old thing, Varys says in the Littlefinger, yet it has a certain appeal. And then Varys with the dagger, the Lysa Aaron of chairs. <laughs> so rude. Yeah. But so perfect. All right, well, Loris and Sansa may have spent the episode debating the semantics of pins and brooches, but other folks are actually getting shit done in the climb. And every episode, as you guys know, we're honoring the person or persons who played the game, advanced their cause in some tangible way. This week, this is an easy one for us. Easy. The winner of our champion's purse. The Wildlings. This is simple. There's not a lot to say here. Guys. They climbed the wall. They climbed the wall. The wall is literally there. They climbed it. So that they don't climb it. Also so that other <laughs> so that they, mystical right. beasts so and creatures don't get through, but also so that they don't it's climb it. It's a high wall. It's a big, beautiful wall. It weeps in the in the sunshine. It's a beautiful wall. There's magic in it. It stretches from coast to coast. No one will ever climb it. People climb it all the time. Yeah. And you know what? They lost some men, sure, but they know that's part of it. They right. know that that's a risk that they face. They got over Taking in that view, sharing a little kiss up top, it's beautiful. Shouts to Tormund, he did it. All right, guys, it's a long way up and a long way down, but uh, <laughs> we've waited our whole lives to binge these podcasts with you, and we hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next join time. Join us. Please do. We will be discussing Season 3, Episode 7, The Bear and bear, the Maiden Fair. A bear. Until then, remember, only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. She was a bad investment on my part. Luckily, I have a friend who wants to try something new, something daring. Oh, and he was so grateful to me for providing this fresh experience.